Je m'appelle Julien Morissette. Je vous souhaite la bienvenue à cette série de balados réalisés dans le cadre du projet Retravailler ensemble de la Galerie UCO et de la Galerie d'art de l'Université Carleton en partenariat avec Transistor Media et le Centre de production Diamond. Ce projet sur le thème de la collaboration reçoit l'appui financier de l'Université du Québec en Outaouais, l'Université Carleton, le Conseil des arts du Canada et l'Ontario Arts Council, un organisme du gouvernement de l'Ontario, la Ville de Gatineau, la Fondation Stonecroft pour le Symposium et le Risa Greenberg Digital Initiatives Fund pour la série de balados et la résidence de production d'Émilie Monet. Retravailler ensemble met en commun les forces des deux seules galeries universitaires de la région d'Ottawa et Gatineau et permet d'affirmer, par la thématique même, l'effort et l'importance de la collaboration dans l'avancement de la pratique commissariale et artistique. En présentant des pratiques contemporaines canadiennes et internationales, ce projet permet à la fois de proposer des œuvres, des idées et des stratégies qui reflètent différents milieux et plusieurs réalités. Aujourd'hui, je m'entretiens avec Hannah Jickling et Helen Reed, artistes du projet Retravailler ensemble. Helen Reed et Hannah Jickling collaborent depuis 2007 et sont basés à Vancouver sur les territoires ancestraux non cédés des Premières Nations Mosquiam, Squamish et Tsleil-Waututh. Leurs projets prennent la forme d'installations publiques, de situations sociales et d'événements qui circulent sous forme de photographies, de vidéos, d'imprimés et de multiples d'artistes. Ils se passionnent actuellement pour le phénomène du « contact high » propre au travail collaboratif, en particulier dans le cadre de leur collaboration récente avec des enfants. À l'automne 2017, elles ont publié aux éditions YYZ Books Multiple Elementary, un livre qui explore la classe de l'école primaire en tant que site d'invention et de réception des pratiques d'art contemporain. Leur travail est présenté jusqu'au 28 avril 2019 à la Carleton University Art Gallery. Okay, so let's talk about the Big Rock County Mountain Project. Mm -hmm. Can you describe what this project is? Sure. So Big Rock County Mountain is, uh, we, we call it a candy factory in an elementary school, and that elementary school is Queen Alex, Queen Alexander Elementary in East Vancouver. Um, so it is a place where artists and kids work together to talk about taste and flavor. So we do a lot of research about children's culture in the form of candy. So the, these things that are um, targeted and marketed towards kids, uh, and then we reinvent that with the kids through these collaborative projects. So that in a nutshell, that's kind of what Big Art Candy Mountain is. I would say also it's, um, we're really engaged with a public practice and the ways that that manifests. So that is a continuous kind of, um, I don't want to say inspiration, but it's something that we still feel excited to innovate. So I guess in terms of moving the research that we've been producing with kids, moving it outside of the school in the form of artist multiples and having those p multiples circulate in public and in retail locations has been exciting for us to think about as part of a public practice. And when you meet the kids for the first time, how do you pitch the project or how do you explain? We, when we first, like we've, we've done classroom projects before when we lived in Toronto. Um, so with this one, we were trying to figure out like, how can we not just look like another pair of adults entering a classroom. So for our first meeting with the kids that we started working with there, who a lot of them we've worked with for three years now, we 
the night before we were kind of racking our brains, like, how are we going to look different? How are we going to signal that this is different? So or how do we set the tone? Yeah. So we made jelly bean costumes, but they were, <laughs> they were not very recognizable as jelly beans. So I think that they did the trick though. Cause I think we yeah. just looked pretty stupid and I th- yeah, we didn't look like serious adults. I don't think. Yeah. So that was the first meeting. And then we all sang the big rock candy mountain song together. Um, and then from there, like things just kind of rolled and unraveled. But I should say it was a bit of a fluke that we sang the Big Rock Candy Mountain song together as well, because we had we were moving forward with Big Rock Candy Mountain as the title for the project, and we can talk about that as well. But yeah. we met um, we met all the teachers at Queen Alex, and some of them self selected to participate. And one was a grade four teacher at the time or a grade four or five teacher. And uh, she had already been singing the kids' version of Big Rock Candy Mountain with them. So it was very serendipitous in that way. Mm-hmm. And that's how we started singing the song. And why that song in particular? Um, Big Rock Candy, well, I think there were a couple things. The f- like the spirit of the song, do you, yeah. do you know the song? Yeah. So, like the adult's version is kind of like, there's a whiskey trickling down the rocks and mm-hmm. there's cigarettes on trees, but, but it's, kind of about this uh, utopian land of no authority, no rules, and then there's sort of like everything that you need, and there's a lot of it. The lake of stew. Yeah, the lake of stew, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So like this idea, like this kind of, yeah, utopian thinking about like what would be the best case scenario. And then the kids' version is more like you don't have to wear your socks and you can have birthday cake every day and you have no bedtime or whatever. But this idea of dreaming about what could be possible if anything could be possible, um, even though it's very much like this kind of myth, like this um, this impossible place that you would never arrive at. But the idea is to to dream the impossible, I guess, with with that song. And then there's this other kind of um, connection to the Whole Earth Catalog. Did a uh, educational supplement called Big Rock Candy Mountain, which was about um, kind of homeschooling and alternative education. So, and I had found a copy of that somewhere. And uh, so there was something about those two things that, and because we were dealing with, we wanted to talk mostly about sugar um, and uh, the kinds of food products that are marketed at kids. So it seemed like a good fit at the time. Yeah, I would also add that there, in terms of going back to the song in particular, in addition to it imagining another world, I think there was there's a very anti-authoritarian yeah. sentiment in there, and that also was quite specific in terms of what we what that would and could look like in a school setting as well. Mm-hmm. And in that setting, what does it look like with the kids when you work with them on that project? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it changes all the time. Like, and it's also because it's been really interesting because we've kind of followed a lot of the same kids through, like, we started, what, grade four, five? Mm-hmm. Four, five, and then we did a three, four. Mm-hmm. And then last year we did a six, seven. I'm not good with numbers. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting because each, like, in, in different classrooms and different age groups, like, the working flow has been, like, profoundly different. Um, but in the most, like, let's say the most recent iteration last year when we were working on this chewing gum, every day was really different because the group of students that we were working with were such a very different 
bunch of personalities, like everybody's so distinct. So some of them really, really enjoyed like the research part where like learning about where is it the gum comes from and who harvests it and how does it get produced? Like that was pretty interesting to some of them and other ones did not care at all about that. Um, so then we would introduce other activities. Like we did a, a gum blob life drawing day where we walked over to the art school, Emily Carr, and we did like a life sketching of gum like chewed blobs of gum and that was exciting for some of them and not for all of them and so every day we we sort of I, it, it's a lot of adapting to see like where the energy is what the energy is for in terms of the group of students and where how we can build momentum and I guess one thing that's consistent is we did a lot of there's a lot of taste testing mm-hmm. that is consistent mm-hmm. and that was something that was everybody could get behind and ended up becoming a bit of a focus for the post-production of the gum. But the amazing thing about these taste tests, I feel like they really leveled the vibe in the room. And, you know, grade six, seven, like Helen said, on any given day, there was a different kind of constellation of personalities who were affecting the room. But we did do a lot of gum taste testing and worked with a lot of gum from all over the world and people would put a piece of gum in their mouth and then the whole room would get just totally silent and everybody had a really interior experience everybody it was very equalizing in that way Mm -hmm. so that became kind of a focus for um what felt most successful, I guess, from the research. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was so much, and like afterwards, sometimes we would talk about what they noticed, but not always, but it was this kind of experience and we would participate too, of just really noticing, like, how does it feel in my mouth? What are like the, what are the flavors present here? Can I identify them? Can I not identify them? How sweet is it? Is it too sweet or not sweet and like all of these like very specific details about what makes a gum and what makes a gum that you would prefer um it's almost like a meditative moment yeah yeah, yeah like a mindful yeah chew. mindful yeah exactly <laughs> mindful chewing yeah and you go past the production in the project there's uh how do you work with the modes the different modes of distribution there are lots of different models for how artists have worked with distribution so I think we aren't necessarily out on a limb with that, although because the products, so a chocolate bar and an addition of chewing gum, have been made, um, they kind of pass as candy. So our interest in distribution now is moving past uh, art bookstores or art book fairs or zine fairs. Those are quite well-established routes, I think, for artists. Mm-hmm. And now we are trying to get these products into actual retail locations. It seems like the biggest um, kind of infiltration we could achieve. And so that's the jury's still out in a way on that because we have another 3,000 boxes of gum that are being produced right now. And those are for stores. The kids want to have it available at the dollar store, the Petro Canada and the 7-Eleven near their school. So I think actually it'd be totally amazing to have their products sitting next to whatever, Mars bars, mm-hmm. toxic waste. Juicy drops. Yeah, juicy drops, all the weird yeah. stuff that they eat. 
So that's um, something that we're still working on. The chocolate bars are available kind of more in expected situations. So artist bookstores and the chocolatier that makes them, you can buy them there. They're for sale online. One big, huge success we had with distribution was really tactical and it started at the very beginning of the gum project knowing that thousands of kids hit the streets every year for halloween so we had three thousand boxes ready this past year for halloween and kind of tapped into that or piggybacked on that distribution um scenario that kind of seemed like and it was distributed by families around their school like this is always a thing like because we like the kids in the school aren't necessarily part of the sort of art circles that we that we're familiar with so it's always a question of since like we're producing this this object we want it to have value for them and we want it to have value like we want other people also to see value in it so this for all of the kids a bunch of the kids in the school and people around the school to be distributing that at Halloween. That seemed like this very exciting way to kind of showcase it in the neighborhood to the families who are part of part of the school and um, their friends. And over the course of the project, have you seen a, a shift in the kids' perspective on questions like uh, the economy, labor, branding? Do you talk about that stuff with the kids? Yes. Yeah. And for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So when the gum launched, there was kind of like this m moment of media interest where it was on like the cover of the province in Vancouver and in the Vancouver Sun. And we did uh, breakfast television, which was really funny. And we did, uh, and Hannah and a couple of the kids did an interview on early edition. So, and I remember like there, somebody, the interviewer asked one of the kids what the gum tasted like. And she said, it tastes raspy and purple and that I loved that she said that because that it was all stuff we'd been talking about like and it was related to like the sweetener we decided to use and the way like sort of like this perceptual thing that happens when you look at the color of a food and that effect affects the way that you experience the flavor of it um, and then the raspiness was like we use this um, natural plant-based sweetener called erythritol and there's something about the sweetness of it if we had the gum you could try it but it does kind of like hit the back of your throat it's hard to explain but definitely in a raspy way that yeah the sweetness yeah. hangs out at the back of your throat and that's what she was describing and and the interviewer was like purple you mean grape and the student was like yeah but i i don't think she meant she meant purple she would have said grape yeah if she meant grape she would <laughs> yeah. have said grape but she meant it tastes purple. Well, at that point, also, we had done a lot of work with a visiting flavorist, flavor scientist, talking about how color affects flavor. And for most of the taste tests we did with the kids, there was an imaginary kind of link to color. So she was referring actually to like a really nuanced kind of language or thinking in terms of flavor and color and it's true the interviewer said grape yeah <laughs> so it's stuff yeah. like that like there like all of this kind of sensory science stuff that i mean we're not experts but we would pull people in to kind of help us understand what's going on and i learned a lot through the process and in the like the way that we were talking about flavor and texture and 
all of these things. Like, I feel like we got pretty nuanced by the end. And then in terms of the other thing that happened was we did this school open house at the end of the project research. And every single class from the entire elementary school came through the art room where we had all of our research displayed. And the grade six, seven students introduced the project to them through these kind of stations. So one station would be like, here's pictures of the farmers who harvested the chiclay that's in our gum. Here's the raw chiclay, you can try it. Here are all the gums that we tried um, during research to figure out what properties we liked and didn't like. And through, because, yeah, like grade six, seven is funny because they, they're awesome and they're also way cooler than any adult, you know? So like sometimes, sometimes they want to hang out with you and sometimes they just don't. But it was really nice to hear them kind of in this mentor role. Yeah. And that I feel like is where I learned how much they learned. Yeah. Like not through, yeah, just like Mm -hmm. in sharing the research with others. It was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And in terms of economy and uh, like building stuff and the, the the whole chain of production, did they have a new take on what it uh, what it means to produce gum or candy or chocolate? Uh, we talked about economics. I mean, because these are made as art objects and publicly funded, the economics are weird. So we get a chunk of money from the government to make a thing. And then if we sell the thing, that's just pure profit, which is like, so we, we talked about that. So they understood that this is not normally how it works, but we did, um, we did a bunch of, I guess the chocolate bar is a little different because the chocolate bar, it gets, it's sort of like self-replicating. It makes like a 50 cent profit or something every time it's sold Mm -hmm. by the time. So we showed them how it all breaks down. This is how much it costs to make the packaging. The chocolate is really expensive because it's from this yeah, bean-to-bar so, chocolatier. So some students at the end of that said, I can't believe, like, who would who would spend $10 on a chocolate bar? That's just ridiculous. And then other students would say, well, no, but, you know, it's it means that everybody who made the chocolate and paid for the cacao beans got paid, and we know where it came from. So there was that present alongside people who still wouldn't pay ten dollars for a chocolate bar and so and of course we can't assume that most kids have that kind of money for a chocolate bar so we we did sell them for a much cheaper price at their school when the project first launched but it it is it's it's an ongoing interesting question about this cycle of production and where the products come from and It's always present, and it also depends on how students take it up. So with the gum, for example, we tested all of this different gum. And unfortunately, all of the natural gum came in packages that looked like oatmeal. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Damn. So they just weren't that jazzed about the natural gum. So you talked about branding then. Yes, I guess. and we ta- yes. So they were quite um, adept at kind of reading how the packaging functioned and what it kind of signaled. Yeah. So gum that looked like instant oatmeal, for example, or gum that looks like it belongs in an architect's office was another comment. So they had yeah they had really 
interesting readings on all of the packaging. And I do remember one conversation in particular, which was we're getting to the end of the research project. We're tasting the flavors in all different kinds of gum bases. So a synthetic gum base that had supposedly had bubble blowing potential. And, and then the natural, various kind of versions of the natural gum. And some of them wanted the natural gum, and some of them just wanted to be able to blow really wicked mm -hmm. bubbles. And so blowing wicked bubbles means generally means you have to go with a synthetic base. And they all knew at this point that that's a mystery base. Like, it's very proprietary. You don't know, other than plastics, you don't really know what's in the base, but to them it was worth it to be able to have this more kind of tactile uh, success in terms of blowing bubbles. You you talked about a, a contact high when working with the kids. Yeah, I think the way I could describe it from one project that we did in Toronto in 2012 was um, having, having an experience as an artist producing research-based projects, working inside of timelines and feeling stressed out a lot of the time and because we were developing a project at that time with a grade six class the energy always shifted by the end of the day or even when we stepped into the classroom so we were it was quite a rigorous project and the the turnover was really fast but there was something actually about every day when we left the school I don't know, a handful of amazing conversations, conversations we'd had or something really funny that had happened that uh, always overshadowed the kind of stress. Hmm. And so I think initially we thought of that as a contact high, but then we're thinking of some other examples of what that would be now. I remember walking down... Um, the hallway at Queen Alex and there had been a, a student that we had worked with the previous year and she made eye contact with me and said hi Helen and then she did did the full splits in the hall with a totally deadpan face because I mean she's hilarious she's yeah. just like a funny weird student but stuff like that where it's just like elementary schools are so weird like because you have like critical mass of like bizarre little personalities just hanging out together all day and like trying to like get away with stuff like yeah. the most amazing weird things happen I'm trying to think of oh yeah like a student like continuously we were the first time we went to queen alex there was a student who we've now worked with for three years who's amazing and she was outside hitting a tree with a stick over and over and over again and we were getting a tour by the principal and the <laughs> and it's just funny like the way that adults and kids interact the principal looked at her and said Look, just looked at her, said her name and looked at her and very slightly shook her head. And the student immediately dropped the stick and walked inside. Just like these, like the way that power operates and like permission. And it's just so funny. There are amazing scenarios like yeah. that all the time. Yeah. I'm just thinking of another one that relates to Heather actually specifically oh, yeah. because yeah. she came to visit the class. And we had, we were, we had partnered with, we had an Emily Carr group of students with us who came every week to the school. So this is over the course of one semester. And 
it was in the lead up to the gum research. And so each of the student groups were doing some kind of riff on gum or tactility or I guess there were some amazing riffs. But anyways, one group was working with modeling clay and Heather was a visitor in the classroom. And whenever we have visitors, we ask that they hang out and participate or do what they can to help. So Heather, who was a curator visiting from Ottawa, ended up sitting at the table and kneading the modeling clay, like warming it up for all of the students. So there's also moments where these inversions of power and service kind of happen that are so refreshing, I think, for everybody. That's another example yeah. that I can think of, but yeah, that's the, yeah, it's like flipping things upside down. Like yeah. all of the, we did a visiting artist series once, uh, like, um, a couple of years ago and like all of the power and recognition that you have, like within an art circle means literally nothing in an elementary school. <laughs> and, but I think like as far as I could tell, like the visiting artists that we had kind of loved that. Like there was like not the same kind of pretense. And then the questions that you got asked during Q and a were, I thought really interesting. Like, yeah, just like picking up on little details that I couldn't imagine an art audience asking somehow. Yeah. Pour plus d'informations, visitez galerie.uco.ca et cuag.ca